0: This is a Rooster Teeth production. February 6, 1996. Bergen Air Flight 301, a Boeing 757 with 189 people on board, is taking off from Porto Plata, Dominican Republic, bound for Frankfurt, Germany, with scheduled stops at Gander, Canada and Berlin, Germany. Most of the passengers are German at the end of a Caribbean package tour holiday and are eager to get home. The plane originally scheduled to take these passengers home was not able to make the trip, and after a four-hour delay, the tour company arranges for this plane, which has been sat in the Dominican Republic for 20 days, to take them home. While accelerating down the runway during takeoff, the pilots notice that their instruments are showing them different airspeeds. The captain proceeds with the takeoff and begins climbing away from the airport. Shortly after takeoff, the instruments light up with various warnings, telling the pilots that the plane is flying too fast and is in danger of being overspeed. The pilots attempt to troubleshoot, but the plane falls out of the air and impacts the ocean below, killing all on board. What happened to Bergen Air Flight 301 to cause it to crash? Why did the airspeed show different values? Should the captain have aborted the takeoff? Find out on this episode of Black Box Down. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Black Box Down. It's Gus and Chris. Hello, Chris. Hi. We're recording a uh, little little peek behind the curtain here. We're recording in the afternoon today. Normally, we do morning recordings, and I, f- I feel a little different energy. I don't know about you, Chris. Well, I just drink a bunch of coffee, so yes. <laughs> <laughs> me too. That might be part of it. <laughs> I was like, hmm, time to load up on a huge cup of coffee and then record some Black Box Down. That's exactly what I did. Yeah. All right. Great minds think alike. You and me, Chris. And hey, great minds think alike, and so do we. <laughs> Before we get into it, of course, want to remind everyone to give us a follow on social media at Black Box Down Pod, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. post supplemental images, videos, things you might not build yourself while listening to our podcast. You can use your eyeballs to help your ear holes out. (laughs) And of course, a special thank you to everyone who subscribes to our premium version, our first class service, as we like to call it. They get the episodes early and ad free. You can learn more at blackboxdownpod.com.
1: And you get some bonus content, like special episodes where we talk about like news and and do Q&A and things like that. So... Speaking of which, we need to do another I one was else. just thinking that. Let's, we should,
0: let's schedule it after this recording. <laughs> yeah, let, let, let's do that. Okay. Anyway, back to 1996. Yeah, rewind. Bergen Air Flight 301 was under the command of Captain Ahmet Erdem, who was 61 years old, with 24,750 flight hours, including 1,875 hours in this kind of plane, the Boeing 757. The first officer was Akut Gurgin, who was 34 years old, with 3,500 hours of flying experience. That being said, only 71 hours were in the Boeing 757. And relief pilot was Moulis Evren Soglu, who was 51 years old, uh, had 15,000 flight hours, but only 121 of them were in the Boeing 757. Okay. The first officer and the relief pilot had only been flying, the 757 was new for them. They'd only, each of them had only been flying it for about three months. Okay. So the, the captain was a lot more experienced with this specific kind of plane. So this airliner was chartered by a Turkish charter company that was established in 1988 that was headquartered out of Istanbul, Turkey. Not Constantinople, Istanbul. In April 1992, the the fleet expanded with uh, a Boeing 757 and in March of 93, a Boeing 737. In order to be able to continue their transatlantic flights in the winter of 95-96, Ogre Tours and Bergen Air entered into cooperation with a Dominican company called Alas Nacionales in 1995. And that company out of the Dominican Republic had an air operator certificate, but they didn't have any aircraft. Sorry, this is a little confusing. We're, we're just doing like, this is like a kind of a nested dolls kind of situation. <laughs> <laughs> Bergen Air rented its Boeing 757 to the Argentine airline STAF in November of 95 and used it on five flight pairs between the Dominican Republic and Buenos Aires. After the lease ended in January of ninety six that Boeing 757 was parked in Puerto Plata, Dominican Republic. And that was this plate. It sat at the airport for 20 days. Okay. So the the the, the summarized version is Ogre Tours and Bergen Air. Uh, I guess Bergen Air actually owned 10% of Ogre Tours. And they entered into a partnership with this other Dominican company and... Bergen Air rented this specific 757 to an Argentine airline. That lease had just ended three weeks, 20 days before this accident. And then since this, the lease had ended, this plane had been sitting in the Dominican Republic for 20 days. The plane that the tour was supposed to use initially to go back to Germany from the, uh-huh. uh, the Dominican Republic had a maintenance issue, so they couldn't take it. So Bergen Air was like, oh, luckily, we just have this 757 that's sitting there. We need to bring it back anyway. Take that plane. And they owned 10% of the tour company, remember? Yeah. So they were like, oh, we're lucky for you. We just happened to have a plane there. And we, they, had, they had sat there in the Dominican Republic because they couldn't find a way to justify taking it back oh. to Europe. Because without the, no passengers, no revenue, it's like, then it's all cost. It's not yeah. offset at all. It was cheaper for them to leave the plane and the crew there for these three weeks waiting for an opportunity to arise to bring the plane back. When they brought it
1: back, did they like, I don't know, do a normal... Check and test of everything. Was
0: there like a bird's nest in the? <laughs> well, no, no. we And we've covered the expiration of leases before. If you remember, um, God, it's been it's been several months now. But we talked about when that one mm-hmm. airline transferred their plane back, and there was paint in the pedo tube. Yeah, remember, and they they had a crash. Yeah. So I don't know specifically that there was like a maintenance check like that done here. But presumably, normally with these lease expirations, normally, yes, there is a, like a, a handoff and checking and making sure everything's okay. I don't know if that was done for a fact here. So this plane, this flight, departed from Porto Plata in the Dominican Republic. Like I said, ultimately, it was bound for Frankfurt, Germany. But along the way, it was going to stop in Gander, Canada and uh, in Berlin, Germany. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. As they were taking off, like as they were accelerating down the runway for their takeoff, the captain noticed his airspeed indicator was malfunctioning. But they continued with the flight because they determined that the first officer's airspeed indicator was functional. Okay. And the way that they normally notice, or the way that they notice that is as they are rolling, you know, as they're accelerating, rolling uh-huh. down the, the runway, the first officer's calling out. He called out 80 knots. And the captain, at first, at first he acknowledges it. He says, check. Then he says, wait, my airspeed indicator's not working. Then he says, let's just use yours.
1: He says not working as in like it's the wrong numbers or not picking up anything or.
0: I don't remember. I don't know exactly what it was doing. I believe at the time it was just showing a much lower number and wasn't really accelerating. Okay. So like obviously there's a discrepancy and it wasn't accelerating like it should have been. Okay. So, you know, they, they you know, he, he says, let's just, you know, to the first officer, let's just use yours. You know, meaning that the first officer mm-hmm. airspeed will be the one that they use. 90 seconds after takeoff, so like I said, I guess I should continue that thought I had. So they, they accelerate through 80 knots. The first officer keeps doing his speed callouts, then, you know, calls out V1, which is the speed at which they're committed to the takeoff. Yeah. They, you know, they have to take off at that point. There's not enough runway left. And then, you know, they call out their rotation speed and they rotate and they begin climbing. 90 seconds after takeoff, at an altitude of 2,500 feet, air traffic control instructed the flight to climb to flight level 280, which is 28,000 feet. Uh, and the autopilot was engaged. At this point, the pilot's airspeed indicator began showing speeds. It like It's like, oh, now it's working. Uh, and it showed that the speed came on and started increasing, which he they expects they, they, they should be accelerating. And then shortly after that, they started getting some warnings in their instruments. They got warnings that indicated rudder ratio and mock airspeed trim. And at this point, the captain's airspeed indicator was showing that they were going 300 knots. But the first officer's airspeed indicator was showing 220 knots. So now they're, you know, they're starting to get warnings. They, the, the airspeed's working for the captain, but it's not showing the same thing as the first officer. So now they don't know what's going on. Yeah. At this point, they assume that both of their airspeed indicators are wrong. Both of them. Right. And they don't know what their actual airspeed is.
1: So why did they assume both of them were wrong?
0: That's an excellent question, Chris. If you were a pilot, what would you do in this situation? Oh, geez. Um... Of course, you've never, you really, you've never flown a plane. You've been a passenger many times, but that's about it. What would I do to
1: try and figure out which of the air, which of the airspeed things are correct, or what would I just do in general?
0: Sure. Like, do you, do you know of a way to check which one's correct, or if either of them are correct? Oh, that's man. a trick question. Don't it, feel bad if you can't. Answer yeah, I, it.
1: no, I don't know. There's not like a third one. Is there's not like a a a, a third airspeed or another one? There
0: is a third airspeed indicator.
1: That's what I... Okay, cool. That's what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, there, there is a third... There's a standby instrument that they can use. And then, you know, you look at the three and whichever one doesn't match, that's the wrong one. Yeah. They didn't do that. They didn't? No. They assumed that both airspeed indicators were wrong. And they begin checking circuit breakers or they begin pulling circuit breakers to try to silence the warnings. Because these warnings are going off, you know, constantly. So, they, you know, they have the relief pilot come up and start resetting some of the circuit breakers to try to get the warnings to be quiet. That doesn't seem, is that part of the checklist? No, it's not part of the checklist. Mm. And uh, like I said, they were, they were flying with the autopilot, or I should say 90 seconds after takeoff, they engaged the autopilot. The autopilot pulls its airspeed from the pilot's side.
1: Which wasn't
0: working. Which was the wrong one. Well, or not the, you, you, the way you said it was better, which is the one that's <laughs> malfunctioning. Or at least one of the malfunctioning ones. Correct. And the one that was malfunctioning on the ground.
1: <laughs> yeah. So why would they do autopilot to that one? Can you redirect the autopilot to... Well, they didn't know which one was working at all,
0: so they shouldn't... Correct. They thought they were both broken. So then why would they autopilot at all? They. they it was probably a force of habit thing at this point. Oh. They're taking off. They turn on the autopilot. And like, uh-oh, now all these warnings are popping up. Let's start pulling circuit breakers. The autopilot increased the pitch-up attitude and reduced power to the plane because it's reading the higher airspeed. Remember, the it, captain said mm-hmm. 300 knots? So the plane's trying to slow, slow down. Slow down. Right.
1: But that's going to make them stall because they're not actually going that fast.
0: Right. The first, at this point, even though the captain says, the captain's speedometer or airspeed indicator says 300 knots, the first officer says 200 knots and is decreasing. So the plane's pitching up, reducing power and they're losing speed. And the confused captain decided to try to reduce thrust because he thought they were flying too fast because his speed o- or his air sp- I keep wanting to say speedometer. His airspeed <laughs> indicator was showing a much faster speed and they were getting overspeed warnings. And at this point, the stick shaker starts going off, war- you know, and the stick shaker normally activates when uh-huh. the plane's about to stall. So the stick shaker starts rumbling, warning them that they're flying too slow, and the plane was approaching a stall. And, you know, the plane at this point starts becoming unstable. It starts to descend. Yeah, and the stick, that should definitely... I mean, what is that reading off of? You know, that's a, that's an interesting question, Chris. Um, I don't... Okay, so I don't know 100% for certain where it pulls that data from on a 757, but it would definitely be through a separate system than, than what, is re, what is supplying the airspeed. So... By the time that the captain decided to increase thrust to full, uh-huh. the plane was in a nose-up attitude, and the, because of that, the engines could not receive adequate airflow to match that increase in thrust. So, yeah. you know, he, yeah. you know the, the captain gives it full power, but the plane's tilted so far up that there's not smooth airflow coming into the engine, so it's disrupted, and they're not able to really give the power that's demanded of them. So what's it do? Just kind of like, again, stall almost? Well, the left engine flames out. Oh. But the right engine keeps working, which then causes the plane to start spinning. Oh, no. Wait, it's, and, and it flames out because it's like it can't get... Enough air. It can't get enough air. Oh, okay, right. yeah, because it, it, it the air, like, pushes the turbines and stuff. Exactly. So then, now, since the right engine is at full power and is giving a little bit of thrust, or it starts, you know, pivoting the plane around, almost like around that left wing, since the left engine is flamed out. So they're... Tilted up, spinning in circles. They're like, and spinning in circles. Correct. And then the plane inverts, and the ground proximity warning system sounds just before the plane crashes into the Atlantic Ocean. Inverts is in like... Goes upside down. It goes upside down. Mm Mm-hmm. If you think about it, you know, again, since the right engine is giving thrust, not only is it, you know, kind of turning to the left because the left engine's not working... Since it's providing thrust on the right side, but not the left side, the right wing's generating lift and the left wing is not generating as much lift. So then it's like it starts banking and then goes upside down, basically. That is crazy. We haven't talked about a lot of upside down planes. It doesn't happen that often.
1: No. Yeah. Okay. And, and, and how long does this last? Like from, say, I don't know, I guess whenever he increased the thrust, the the captain, to whenever they hit the ground. Like, how, what is that time span?
0: Oh, it was not very long at all. Um, it was m- at most maybe a minute and a half or two minutes. Wow. They don't actually climb very high at all. I think the peak altitude they reached was like 7,200 feet. And then they start descending after that. So then, you know, yeah. when they're trying to recover, it's it's not. They very, don't have a lot of time. Right. They're not very high. It's not a very long time at all. And yeah, I think by the time, from the time they invert to the time they uh, hit the ocean, it was like. 10 seconds, maybe. They were already pretty low by that point. Can you recover from being inverted, even if you were high up? It depends. It's possible, yes. The, the plane is not designed for that. You know, things may break and not work right. But it, I think, depending on the circumstances, yeah, if you have enough altitude, it would be possible. But that doesn't address the... Oh, and in fact, actually, remember we talked about the FedEx 705 uh-huh. attempted hijacking? Oh, yeah. Those pilots did invert the plane to try to fight off the hijacker. That's right. And that plane continued to fly. That plane actually just retired yeah, uh, at oh, the end yeah. of 2022. Yeah. Someone like sent
1: a uh, messaged us on like Twitter about it, I think. Yeah. And it was like, yeah, December
0: just a month ago or two months ago. Yeah. It, that, that plane continued to fly for decades. So it, it, it is it is possible. Yes. Granted, that was not a 757. That was a, a different kind of plane. But yeah, it, it, it definitely is possible. But again, there may be unforeseen mm-hmm. problems that arise because of that. Anyway, I don't remember if I said it, but the, when the, the plane impacted the ocean. It killed all 189 people on board. Mm-hmm. And uh, as a result, it was the deadliest aviation accident ever to have occurred in the Dominican Republic. And the wreckage was completely destroyed on impact. What parts that did remain were submerged and they had to retrieve it via submarines like unmanned submarines wow so they sent submarines down with cameras and they kind of you know sketch out the position of where everything is and come up with a plan to try to retrieve the black boxes and as much of the of the wreckage as they can
1: i'm curious how how fast they were going when they hit but also we may not know because the the airspeed indicator (laughs) is not working
0: yeah uh, i'm looking over the some of the data right now and it looks like At the moment of impact, they may have been descending at about somewhere between ten and 12,000 feet per minute. Then if you think there's roughly 5,000 feet in a mile, that would be 60 miles an hour. If you do 10,000, that's, let's say, roughly double. So maybe 120 miles an hour. Okay. That's fast. A little over 120, 140, somewhere around there. Okay. We've definitely covered incidents where they hit the ocean much faster, faster but also yeah, probably because they they didn't fall from that great they didn't yeah right they, they, they weren't that high. one of the engines was flamed out it was this is a awful cascading series of problems, so both recorders were submerged with the or both um black boxes I should say the cockpit voice recorder and flight data recorder they were submerged with the rest of the aircraft and they were located at a depth of seven thousand two hundred feet, which I thought was strange because Like I said a little earlier, the maximum height that they reached, the maximum altitude this plane reached was also about 7,200 feet. So the plane went from being 7,200 feet above the ocean to being 7,200 feet below the ocean or at the bottom of the ocean, you know? I just thought it was weird that it was the same number. Oh, (laughs) yeah. On February 28th, a team from the United States Navy, aided with a vehicle operated by remote control through a fiber optic cable, were able to descend down and recovered the black boxes. It took them about two hours and they were able to find it. The submarine was called Curve C-U-R-V, Curve 3 And uh, they took about two hours and they were able to retrieve the boxes and transport them to the National Transportation Safety Board in, in Washington, D.C. So the inspection of the information on the black boxes indicated the taping system was operating normally, but the sequence of information, the flight data recorder, was lost for about a second at one point and the values of calibrated airspeed do not correlate with the other recorded parameters and they should be considered invalid, which I thought that was really interesting that you said that, Chris, because you called <laughs> it. You had said that a little while ago. So they, they did know that some of the data was a little messed up because uh, their airspeeds weren't working. The information from the cockpit voice recorder and the flight data recorder indicated that the crew of the aircraft did not initiate any action to regain flight control after activation of the stick shaker at 345 and 52 seconds. On the contrary, an atmosphere of confusion prevailed in the cockpit. On two occasions, the relief captain said, ADI. Investigators believe that the relief captain intended to suggest to the flight crew they maneuver the aircraft to an appropriate pitch attitude, a.k.a. nose down. The flight crew discussed reducing and increasing engine power. And during this period, the first officer said, you should level off. I'm selecting altitude hold. And then the captain said, select, select. So that that was kind of a mouthful there. And that was a lot to go through. I think the most interesting thing here is remember there's the captain, the first officer, and there's also the relief pilot in the cockpit as well. And, you know, when they when they were starting to lose control, we, we talked about how the aircraft was pitched up and losing speed. The relief captain who's sitting behind them starts saying ADI, ADI. He says it twice. It's the attitude indicator that shows them how far they're pitched up or down. Uh-huh. You know, like he's trying to tell them, Look Look at the ADA. Look at the ADI. Like nose down, level off, because they're they were starting to pitch up uh, really dangerously. That's frustrating. Yeah, I feel like maybe he should have been more assertive Mm -hmm. in you know, in saying that. mm -hmm. Because they were probably just they, they, they were probably so preoccupied they probably didn't hear him or ignored him. So the investigation was done by the Dominican Republic government's general directorate of civil aviation, DGAC, and they determined the probable cause to be the crew's failure to recognize the activation of the stick shaker as a warning of imminent entrance to the stall and mm-hmm. the failure of the crew to execute the procedure for recovery from the onset of loss control. And that, that kind of just summarizes everything we've talked about and everything we know so far. The plane stalled and the crew did not recover appropriately. So the big question is, why? Mm-hmm. Like, how, how did they get here? How did this happen? So, to, again, we're going to rewind a little bit here. About two and a half hours before the flight's scheduled departure time, The Department of Operations notified the crew of a mechanical failure on the Boeing 767 that required change of equipment and the crew that was attached to the flight. This is the original plane that they were supposed to take. Okay. They had a mechanical failure, and it was a different kind of plane. It was a 767. And this is when, you know, two and a half hours before they're supposed to take off. Hey, equipment problem. We need to find another plane. The new crew reported to the airport at approximately 2.15, and there was an additional delay of another hour because of a delayed flight attendant. So... This is kind of all going on before they even take off. You know, they have to get a different plane, they have to get a different crew, they have to wait for the flight attendants to show up. Remember, these this crew had been in the Dominican Republic for twenty days, waiting for the opportunity to get back home. Just chilling for that long, like so. Th- I didn't
1: realize the crew was all there.
0: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> they're they're also there. They're waiting for the opportunity to take the plane back That's home.
1: It's crazy that they're just like, yeah, just chill here for like a month or so. We don't know.
0: Yeah. And that's cheaper than flying the plane back. Wow. End. So, the, I mean, did, were they just like on vacation? Yeah. I don't, Yeah, you know, that that's a good question because I don't know. I assume they just like hang out and wait around to get a phone call, you know, just be ready <laughs> at any moment to go. It sounds kind of cool. <laughs> a little like vacation. <laughs> yeah. But you, you, it's also stressful because you have to make sure, you know, if you're the pilots and I'm, I'm not sure of the rules for the flight attendants, but if you're the pilots, you have to make sure you're getting the appropriate amount of sleep. Mm hmm. Yeah. I don't know about the rules in the Dominican Republic or elsewhere, but in the United States, the FAA says you cannot operate an airplane within eight hours of having an alcoholic drink and the blood alcohol, you cannot show any effects of being under the effects of alcohol and you cannot have a blood alcohol content level of higher than 0.04. So even though you're, you're quote unquote vacationing in the Dominican Republic, you can't drink and you have to be getting plenty of sleep every night. They can't be like having a, drink on the beach, and then they're like, hey,
1: we got We need you to fly. You're like,
0: oh, crap. Like, no, i got to <laughs> wait eight hours. So there, it's, uh, there are you know, extenuating circumstances and other rules to keep in mind there. So the flight finally initiated takeoff at about 3.42 universal time, which is 11.42 p.m. local time. They're UTC minus four. So it was a, a nighttime flight. It was just before midnight that they're taking off. After a few seconds, the first officer made the standard call of 80 knots, to which the captain answered his airspeed indicator was not working. The first officer confirmed his indicator was normal, and the captain indicated to the first officer he read the different velocity or that he, uh, he read the different velocities in order to continue takeoff. The affected takeoff continued normal, and at three hundred forty two and twenty seven seconds the captain announced that his airspeed indicator started to work. Uh, and at this time the aircraft had reached an altitude of five hundred seventy six feet and a ground speed of one hundred twenty one knots. At 3.44 and seven seconds, at an altitude of 3,500 feet and a ground speed of 273 knots, the captain ordered the autopilot to be connected. So this is kind of like a more detailed timeline of everything that happened uh, on the takeoff. At 3.44 and 28 seconds, this is 21 seconds after they connect the autopilot, uh-huh. the captain communicated something abnormal was happening, and he repeated it again 15 seconds later. I think at this point, this is when they start to see the, some of the warnings start to pop up and the first officer confirms that something abnormal is happening, communicated to the captain his airspeed indicator was showing 200 knots and decreasing. And at this time, the aircraft had an altitude of 5,344 feet with an indicated airspeed of 327 knots and a pitch attitude of 15.1 degrees. And the captain responded that both indicators were incorrect. And he asked, what should we do? Immediately ordering a check of the circuit breakers. That's not what you want to hear. By the way, the the first officer and the relief captain, remember, and the relief pilot, remember, they are new to this kind of plane. Uh-huh. The pilot who knows and who has flown this plane a lot asks, "What should we do?" Ugh. And then orders a check of the circuit breakers at three forty-five and four seconds. The captain commented that things happen when an aircraft remains on the ground for a while, like asymmetry of the elevators and other things. Seven seconds later, he said, "We do not believe them," and he's referring to the the warning messages that were that they were getting in their instruments. We don't believe them. Right. He's thinking that they're false warnings because uh, something's wrong with the plane. They don't know. He doesn't know what. And in his mind, it's because the plane's been sitting outside for 20 days. You know, like he's, he mentions maybe the elevators are asymmetrical or something else happened because the plane was sitting around for 20 days. Yeah. Okay. He thinks, yeah, the bird nest. Right. The bird nest theory, <laughs> as we'll call it. At 345 and 28 seconds at an altitude of 6,688 feet with an indicated airspeed of 352 knots and a pitch attitude of 15.1 degrees with the center autopilot connected and the overspeed alarm sounded. And the captain commented, this is not important and ordered the circuit breaker for the overspeed warning pulled, interrupting the sound of the alarm. And I mean, he's kind of on the right track. He's right. They're not going over speed, Mm -hmm. but you know, they're pulling the circuit breaker for it. And I just want to also note, even though I said it's an indicated airspeed of three hundred fifty-two knots, that's the airspeed from the captain's side. That's not what their actual airspeed was. Okay, but did we
1: determine if both, if the the first officer's airspeed indicator was actually not working?
0: Oh, I haven't. I haven't talked. I haven't said that yet. That's a that's a good question, Chris. <laughs> We're going to get to that. At this time, the aircraft had an altitude of seven thousand forty feet and an indicated airspeed of three hundred forty-nine knots and a pitch attitude of fourteen point eight degrees up. At three forty five and fifty two seconds, the sound of the stick shaker began, and the automatic pilot remained connected, and the auto throttle and VNAV disconnected. So the autopilot's still on, but the auto throttle and some like parts of it are starting to disable. At an altitude of seven thousand one hundred thirty two feet and an indicated airspeed of three hundred twenty three knots and a pitch attitude of eighteen point three degrees up, the power of both engines was reduced. Five seconds later, power to both engines was restored there was an increase of pitch attitude to 21 degrees up, and then the automatic pilot disconnected. The pitch attitude was unstable from 21 degrees up to 5 degrees up. At 346 and 31 seconds with an altitude of 5,984 feet and a ground speed of 194 knots and a pitch attitude of 14.4 degrees up, power to both engines was returned to a low level, and moments of great confusion prevailed in the cockpit. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah the captain said, we are not climbing, what can I do? Maintaining a reduced throttle, the first officer responded, you should stop the descent. I'm selecting the altitude hold, sir. So he's, uh, the first officer's trying to remedy this by putting the autopilot into altitude hold mode so that they'll level off and just hold that altitude. But
1: if they're still working off autopilot and it's using the first officers, which thinks they're going too fast. The captains. Yeah, sorry, the captains. And it says
0: altitude hold. Mm, that, that That just makes it worse, right? Well... The problem here is that the autopilot had just disconnected a few seconds before this. Just disconnected. Right. It had disconnected 39 seconds before this, and they didn't realize it because the plane was in such an unstable flight that the autopilot didn't know what to do, so it disconnected itself. So even though he selected altitude hold, nothing happened because the autopilot didn't know what to do with the plane Uh because it felt like... It couldn't control it. It was, yeah. Uh, you know, we talk we talk about sometimes, this is a Boeing plane. We talk about on the Airbuses sometimes about how there's like flight envelopes that you're restricted to so that you don't do anything too crazy to the plane. Like this plane is now outside of <laughs> that kind of envelope. And so the, <laughs> the the autopilot's like, I'm not touching this. Yeah, that's on you. <laughs> you you. You fix this. 21 seconds later at 3.46 and 52 seconds, the captain asked about the position of the power levers. And the first officer responded that both were pulled back. Immediately, the captain ordered, throttle, don't pull back. Uh, The first officer responded to him, okay, they are open, they are open. At 346 and 57 seconds, they increased both power levers, but at 346 and 59 seconds, which is two seconds later, the power to the left engine was reduced to a low level and the power of the right engine was maintained at a maximum power. At 347 and 3 seconds, at an altitude of 3,520 feet, and a pitch attitude of negative 53.3 degrees, decreasing to negative 80 degrees, and a bank angle of negative 99.8 degrees, power continued to be asymmetrical. So the left engine is at this point reduced. The right engine's maintained at maximum power. Their pitch attitude is negative 80 degrees. So it's approaching straight down into the ocean. Negative 90 would be straight down. So they're almost straight down. And a bank angle of negative 99.8. They're starting, at this point, this is when they're starting to, Roll over and invert. Mm-hmm. This is this is crazy. Like how they end up doing this. There is a an, um. I'll I'll post this on social media. There's a the NTSB did a recreation, like a computer simulation of the instruments, the airspeed, and like a little uh, rough computer model of what mm-hmm. the plane looked like during the flight. It's like a five minute long video. I'll post this on social media. But it's it's when you watch it, you're like, no, plane should not be moving like that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It it looks awful. It's terrible. I'm doing my best to try to talk through it all and yeah. describe it here, but you should definitely check out our social media and, and see what it actually looks like. At 3.47 and 9 seconds, the ground proximity warning system began to sound, whoop, whoop, pull up. And at an altitude wait, of 2,000... 2000- wait, whoop, mm-hmm. whoop? That's like the sound. It makes like an alarm. Okay, okay. Whoop, whoop, pull up. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to recreate it, Chris. I'm, 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 I'm your soundboard here. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. It's not like a party. It's not... <laughs> I didn't think. I just.
1: Okay, sorry. Go ahead.
0: That's what it said in the report, Chris. I had to. I had to read it. It says. Now you've re- got me feeling self-conscious about it. Whoop. <laughs> so uh, it, the ground proximity warning system says whoop whoop pull up at an altitude of two thousand three hundred sixty-eight feet and a pitch attitude of negative seventeen point six degrees and a bank angle of negative nine degrees. Varying these parameters two seconds later until impact with the Atlantic Ocean, 14 miles northeast of Puerto Plata, with a pitch attitude of negative 34.3 degrees and a bank angle of negative 34.6. All occupants died and the impact resulted in 100% destruction of the aircraft. Uh-huh. Okay, so we kind of gave an introduction, an overview, kind of talked about it broadly. We just went through a play-by-play of uh, everything that happened, not only in the flight, but leading up to it, and who, who owns what company, and what happened to this plane, and where it was, the awful aerobatics that this plane went through before impacting the ocean. And I, I, I quizzed you earlier, and then you, you answered correctly. I'm, I'm, I was very impressed by that. You, you know, you, I asked you, when you have two airspeeds that are disagreeing, what do you do? And you were right. I didn't mention it. You knew. You look at the third, the standby instrument to determine which airspeed is correct, right? Yeah. And so, so far, I believe we're operating off of the bird nest theory. Do you have any uh, updates <laughs> to the bird nest theory or do you have any, bird, any, new, yeah. uh, any new thoughts on that?
1: No, I mean, so f- I think based off of the information we got, bird nest theory, something was wrong with one of the, uh, at least the captain's airspeed reader and mm-hmm. then bad, incorrect, like problem solving and reliance on autopilot led to all this. That, that, that's, that's what I'm
0: at right now. I think you totally nailed it, Chris. I think you are one. You are one hundred percent. We've done enough of it, enough of these episodes that uh, you can uh, you you can see right through it. You know what's going on. And the reason I'm asking you about it now is because the next couple sentences in the report really unravel the mystery here. Unravel that bird nest. Mm-hmm. These calibrated airspeeds correlate with a total block of the captain's pitot tube. When an aircraft has a blocked pitot tube, as the altitude increases, the indicated airspeed will also increase. The airspeed indicator will eventually be able to exceed the maximum operational airspeed and the affected air data computer will generate an overspeed warning. So all of this so far sounds like that the pitot tube that was feeding the captain's airspeed was blocked. And that, remember we talked about how once they lifted off from the ground, he said, oh, it started working and it just kept increasing in speed. It's because they were climbing. The pitot tube is blocked for an airspeed indicator. The airspeed indicator essentially acts like an altimeter. And the higher you go, the faster it says you're going. Like, anyway, as you climb, an altimeter normally increases and shows your altitude. That's what the, that's all the airspeed indicator becomes. It becomes an altimeter. And as you go higher, it just shows you're going faster and faster. So they weren't really going faster. They were just mm-hmm. climbing. Okay. According to the calculations of the manufacturer, when a block of the pitot system occurs at the same time as the aircraft ascends, the pressure diminishes and the air trapped in the system expands, giving a directly proportional increase of the airspeed indication in relation to the altitude. The increase showed by the flight data recorder corresponds with the calculations made by the manufacturer. See, I, I, just, I just gave the explanation. That was the, the, technical, mm-hmm. <laughs> the technical side of things. Also, the tests in the simulator, they simulated ice blocking the pitot tube, just to see what would happen. Uh-huh. Verifies with similar indications why the accident occurred. Also in the simulation, the same selection of the center automatic pilot was used, and the overspeed warning and stick shaker occurred in a similar pattern to that of the actual flight. That being said, they're Uh departing the Dominican Republic. You don't think there's going to... There's probably not ice.
1: Yeah, yeah. Even though it is
0: February. Right. It's probably still, you know, in the low 70s Fahrenheit. It should be well above freezing. The departure was planned at night over water in a passenger transport aircraft completely equipped by instruments. The existing meteorological conditions and the forecast for the area was favorable for the flight. This was also not considered a contributing factor to the accident. So even though it's at night, good weather. Even though it's over the ocean, the weather was not a factor. The dispatch procedures, including weight and balance and performance calculations, were appropriate for the departure airport within limitations of the aircraft. Their estimated time en route until reaching the final destination required three pilots, which they were all on board. This was also not a contributing factor to the accident. The engines performed as certified by the manufacturer were certified as airworthy by aeronautical authorities. The structure of the aircraft, in agreement with the obtained evidence, remained intact until impact with the water, No evidence of any pre-impact fire, explosion, or hostile activity. Okay. Crew members were all appropriately certified in the Boeing 757. However, it was determined the crew was not trained to recognize, analyze, and take proper actions in abnormal situations, such as the one they were presented with on this flight. During the course of takeoff, the first officer took reference of his airspeed indicator and made the call of 80 knots. The captain responded to him, check. But then two seconds later said, my airspeed indicator is not working. Meanwhile, the aircraft continued its acceleration for takeoff and the captain verified the airspeed indicator of the first officer was functioning and ordered, you tell me, indicating to the first officer to say the velocities, taking into account only his airspeed indicator. Two seconds later, the first officer said V1 and rotation four seconds. After that, the aircraft was in the air. The purpose of doing that check at 80 knots, among other things, is to verify the proper functioning of the engines and flight instruments. The investigation concluded the captain underestimated the lack of indication of airspeed and contrary to established procedures, he continued the takeoff. So that's saying established procedure at this point says, if you have an airspeed disagreement, you discontinue the flight, you stop your takeoff. And they had not reached V1 yet, so there were still plenty of runway in front of them to stop. And they did, the, you know, as part of this report, they do the performance calculations and they show that the aircraft would require 2,280 feet of runway to decelerate from 80 knots. And they calculated the captain would have been able to accelerate until V1 and abort the takeoff, leaving sufficient runway. So if they had stopped immediately at that point, when they said 80 knots, they would have been fine. If they had gone all the way up to V1 and then decided to stop, they would have been fine. There was enough runway still. They'd been there for a month. They wanted to leave. I think you're you're right on, Chris. Wait, really? I think so. I think they had been there for 20 days, and I think they wanted to go home, and they were like, we're just going to go. There's no way we can know that because, you know, they all died in the crash. But I think that was in the back of their head. Wow. I I bet they were like, you know what? Let's just go. Let's just get out of here. Let's just go home. And they took off when they shouldn't have. And I think they entered a situation they were unprepared for, and they did not deal with it appropriately. The Boeing 757 aircraft of Bergen Air utilized five indicators with velocity information available in the following manner. The captain's airspeed indicator, the first officer's airspeed indicator, the standby indicator, which is what you said they should have looked at, which you are correct, and two indicators of ground speed, both in the captain's and first officer's screens. The flight data recorder only tapes the indicated airspeed from the flight computer of the captain. We talked about that too. That's why the the numbers were all wrong in the flight data recorder. The taped ground speed was obtained from the inertial reference units. The cockpit voice recorder and the flight data recorder indicated that at approximately 500 feet of altitude and at 120 knots, the captain affirmed, It started to operate. That's when his airspeed indicator started to show speed, but in reality, it was working as an altimeter. Yeah, so it wasn't working at all. Right. It was turning, but it wasn't giving them actual real information. Investigators determined that this indication resulted in a decrease in pitot system pressure due to the combination of the ascending path of the aircraft and the expansion of the blocked air by an obstruction of the captain's pitot tube. These two factors caused the instruments to show an increase in airspeed indication. Investigators concluded the captain underestimated the importance of the discrepancy between airspeed indicators experienced during takeoff as a result of the apparently correct indication during the initial phase of the ascent. The cockpit voice recorder and flight data recorder indicated the crew activity in the cockpit was normal at the time flaps were retracted, standard radio calls were made after departure, and the after takeoff checklist was completed, and normal automatic pilot modes were selected during the continued climb. So everything, despite the airspeed not matching... During takeoff, everything initially went just like it should, just as planned. Yeah. However, analysis of the flight data recorder indicated that the pitch attitude of the aircraft during the ascent continued to increase slowly until around 14 degrees when the aircraft was passing through 4,300 feet. At this time, the ICAST system initiated the warning messages. That's like the, the warning system, the alert system. That they don't need, or they don't believe, or what, what did they say? Well, yeah, I think we do not believe it. Yeah. Uh, it initiated warning messages in relation to rudder ratio and mock trim. The captain affirmed, there is something strange, there are some problems, and okay, there is something crazy, do you see it? However, the crew did not attempt to clarify the alerts or take corrective action. And I think you had a question about these specific sentences earlier, but I was kind of kind of waiting till we got here. <laughs> the first officer affirmed, there is something crazy here right now. Right now, mine is only 200 and decreasing, sir, presumably talking about airspeed. The indication of ground speed at this time was around 212 knots. The first officer articulated 200. Investigators concluded that this was correct. An indication of the 200 indicated airspeed came from the computer belonging to the first officer and his associated pedo system. So they have separate pedo systems feeding each of their airspeed indicators, which is why the first officers continued to work, even though the captain's was blocked, presumably. No members of the crew mentioned the presence of the standby airspeed indicator in the cockpit. I don't know. That is the most. That is probably the most frustrating part of like this entire... There's three people in there, and right? none of them at any point. They never mention it, despite the fact that should be the first thing. We have different airspeeds. What does the third one say? Okay, now we know which, what yeah. the actual airspeed is. Investigators concluded that there was much confusion in the cockpit, which interfered with the analysis of the discrepancies of the airspeed and the choice of the appropriate course of action. The captain questioned... Both of them are wrong. What can we do? And let's check their circuit breakers. The first officer responded, yes. And the captain said, alternate is correct. The investigators concluded that this discussion was in reference to the airspeed indicator located in the center instrument panel. So this is, after all of this, this is them finally looking at the alternate airspeed indicator and then saying alternate is correct. But they start looking at circuit breakers before they look at that. Yeah. They look at it and then, you know, you know this because we already talked about it. They immediately forget about it.
1: Pulling the circuit breaker thing, is that messing anything up or just distracting them?
0: Well, it's not necessarily messing anything up. They're, do, they're mostly just silencing the alarms because there's no other way for them to do it at this point. So they just start pulling those circuit breakers. Really not what they should be doing anyway, but I don't think it, it, it necessarily directly caused any additional problems. And although the affirmations of the captain and the first officer indicated that both crew members recognized that the indications of the alternate indicator were correct, they did not seem to understand the importance of comparing the three indicators. So they took the first step of looking at the third one, but then they don't take the next step of comparing it to theirs to determine which is correct. That's crazy. Yeah. None of the three flight crew members suggested the appropriate course of action to compare the indicators or to switch the instrument selector for alternate source to alternate, to derive airspeed from the ADC of the first officer and its pitot system.
1: So that way, yeah, so that the, the autopilot would work correctly? Is, is that what you're
0: saying? So like switch it to right. like, hey, look at this one. Right. Don't don't pull your information from the captain's side. Pull it from the first officer's side. Then that was there the whole time as well, and they don't do that. The alternate source was able to be converted for reference of relative airspeed for the autopilot system. The failure of the flight crew to realize the right course of action and to understand the reduction of displayed ground speed information on the screens indicated a lack of knowledge of the aircraft systems and a lack of crew resource management in the cockpit. We, always, we love talking about CRM here. Mm-hmm. Instead of taking definitive action to determine a valid reference for airspeed and to control the increasing pitch attitude, the captain initiated a discussion that forced the crew to rationalize the disparity of airspeed information. He provided information to the crew that what was happening is normal because of the extensive time the aircraft was not flying, and we don't believe them. His analysis prevailed in the cockpit for a period of 19 seconds, then followed. The relief captain then said, shall I reset its circuit breaker to understand the reason? Burgundy's operations manual contains sections and letters titled, Flights with an Untrustworthy Airspeed Indicator, that offers to the crew recommended pitch attitudes and throttle position to allow safe climb, cruise, and landing. While the flight continued to climb, the crew members did not discuss or demonstrate that these procedures were available. They never focused their attention on the enormous pitch attitude which developed, or the alternate sources of velocity information that were present in various indicators in the cockpit. So even their operation manual has a section titled Flights with an Untrustworthy Airspeed Indicator, telling you exactly what to do, which presumably they would have been trained on, and which was available for them to look at. And none of the three of them looked at it or remembered that they had been taught this. This
1: is Because there are so many times that they could have treated this situation better. Yes. Like like you said, they shouldn't take it off. Okay, now they're up. Okay, well, they could have diagnosed this Oh, then they look at they finally look at the
0: airspeed in the right one, they ignore it. They don't take the next step to compare it. Yeah. Yeah, it was it's yeah, I don't I don't know what to say. I, 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 the, the, like I said the, the 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 first officer and the relief captain were new to this type of plane, but still Yeah, they still should, like, even the relief pilot was saying ADI, you know, to, like, look Mm -hmm. at their, the ADI is working. They should be able to know that they're pitched really high. During the final two minutes of the flight, the crew did not take proper actions necessary to prevent loss of control of the aircraft. An approximate replica of the flight in a training simulator provided investigators the opportunity to observe alternate actions. During a profile duplication of the accident in a flight training simulator, investigators judged that the Boeing 757 was able to demonstrate recovery of a similar flight profile with the application of maximum throttle and the application of proper flight commands for the recovery from stall. The Boeing company informed the investigators that engineers during flight had inadvertently entered into a similar flight profile during the development tests of the aircraft, and they were able to regain control of the aircraft by using normal recovery techniques for stall. So that's just to say... This was recoverable. Yeah, it sounds like it. Yeah, they did, not, they did not break the plane. They did not do something that caused it to be, you know, a lost cause. Th- this was entirely recoverable. The information from the cockpit voice recorder and the flight data recorder indicated the crew of the aircraft did not initiate any action to regain flight control after activation of the stick shaker. On the contrary, an atmosphere of confusion prevailed in the cockpit. On two occasions, the relief captain said adi Investigators believe the relief captain intended to suggest to the flight crew they maneuver the aircraft to an appropriate pitch attitude, nose down. The flight crew discussed reducing and increasing engine power. During this period, the first officer said, you should level off. I'm selecting altitude hold. The captain said, select, select. However, the flight data recorder indicated automatic pilot was no longer connected. Uh-huh. And for that reason, the altitude hold function was not available. Investigators concluded the atmosphere of confusion continued between the three pilots while the aircraft lost flight control and descended to the sea. So the autopilot was just turned off. Like yeah. it was it wasn't turned off. It had just disabled itself because it couldn't it couldn't help them at this point. And they didn't even realize it, I guess. Right. Yeah. They're just panicking and just start pushing stuff trying to get something to work. Jeez. The investigation of the crew concluded their confusion was a result of lack of knowledge of the aircraft systems and a failure of procedural discipline. The final control loss resulted when the flight crew ceased to recognize the activation of the stick shaker as an imminent warning of aerodynamic stall. As evidenced by the fact they failed to execute the procedures for recovery from loss of control. Again, they just had to nose down, just level I, it off. I, just, yeah, just oh. look at the ADI. <laughs> <laughs> and when the stick, and you know, we've covered this in multiple incidents, when the stick shaker goes off, you just slam it, you know, push that thing in, <laughs> get that nose down. <laughs> but who, who knows what they were thinking? You know, if in the back of their mind they were thinking that they were going too fast, if they believed that maybe they would think it was like. Break the mocking. buffeting. Yeah. right? Or no, like that, it wasn't the stick shaker, but it was like the the wind violently buffeting oh. the plane. I, I don't know that. They don't ever say that, uh-huh. but maybe that's what, they, maybe they didn't understand it was the stick shaker. I don't, I don't know. But see, it feels like that would be your first instinct. Yeah. I can't begin to, to speculate. I don't know. And uh, in their conclusion, in the report, it says... The probable cause of the accident was a failure on the part of the flight crew to recognize the activation of the stick shaker as an imminent warning of entrance to aerodynamic stall and the failure to execute proper procedures for recovery from loss uh, from control loss. Before activation of the stick shaker, the confusion of the flight crew occurred due to the erroneous indication of an increase in airspeed and the subsequent overspeed warning. So that's kind of it, even kind of s- says, you know, they were distracted by this, even though they weren't going overspeed, it was telling them that. Mm-hmm. So We've covered. Um, we've we've pretty much covered everything that happened here, everything yeah. that led up to it. You know what the what the problem is, but we never have uncovered why why was the captain's pitot tube stopped up?
1: Yeah, was there a bird in
0: it? Was there a bird <laughs> nest? So unfortunately, the plane was so destroyed upon impact with the ocean that they weren't able to recover the pitot tubes. Mm. So they don't. They cannot definitively say one hundred percent why that peto tube was stopped up. However, uh-huh. there is a theory, and it's a very credible theory. It's, it's widely accepted that this was the case. This is what happened here. In this part of the Dominican Republic, there are a lot of bees and wasps. They think that there are there are specifically a kind of mud-dauber wasp. But Mud.
1: it's not a bird's nest. It's a bee, bee's it's nest. A, a it's, wa-
0: a it's a wasp. It was most likely a wasp nest. A <sighs> mud-dauber wasp came in that time that the plane was parked out there. The plane was parked out there without covers on the pitot tubes. They didn't cover it. Is that normal to cover them? They should absolutely be covered. There, there are, I saw in some places, it was claimed that they were left uncovered for 20 days. And in other places, it was said that they were only left uncovered for the last two days before the plane took off. So I don't know exactly how long those pitot tubes were left uncovered, but they were left uncovered for a minimum of two days. And most likely, mud dauber wasps like narrow openings and cylindrical holes to build yeah. their nests. And they, they build like mud. That's why their name, you know, they, they, they pack their nest with mud, which then dries out and hardens and becomes super hard. And it's speculated that a mud dauber wasp came, built a nest there, and blocked up that peto tube. Because the peto tube was uncovered for at least two days. Yeah.
1: Isn't part of getting ready to take off, like going around and inspecting? the speedo tubes and like checking for that stuff?
0: Yeah, um, it is. It can be, you know, on a small plane. It's easy. You can look into it mm-hmm. on a big plane like this. You can't see it from the ground. You need to get like a ladder uh-huh. and, and look at it. They may have just looked at it from the ground and said, looks good. Oh, you know? and it was midnight. Right. It was also dark. Mm. So yeah, they uh, they left it uncovered for a minimum two days and they failed to perform tests to the pedostatic system before returning it to service since it had been on the ground for 20 days. So. It's a little unsatisfying because we don't know 100% for certain that's what happened. But that seems to be the very much like that is almost certainly what happened here. A wasp caused this plane to crash. The fact that it was an actual nest. Yeah, you you said bird nest. And I was like, oh, man, Chris. (laughs) There are some additional factors here that I want to read over just because this also ties into some of the conversation you and I had Mm -hmm. in this episode. It is possible that the flight crew was not physically or mentally rested and prepared to fly the trip due to the unexpected call of the crew during scheduled free time. This goes back to what we were talking oh. about. Oh, They may not have had the appropriate rest. They may not have been ready. It was all of a sudden, hey, okay, let's go. Like, oh, no, I, I wasn't. I didn't think I was going to fly today, that kind of thing. And then rushing, like, right. they, they'd been there for a
1: month, right? Right. I'm just imagining right. if you were staying in a hotel for three weeks or something, your hotel room starts to look it's like you've like moved in kind of, you know?
0: Yeah. you like grabbing stuff. Yeah, they were probably just ready to go, you know, wanting to get back home. Bergen Air's training did not include crew resource management. There was a combination of training from outside sources that failed to provide continuity or an integrated approach to attaining the maximum efficiency of the flight crew. The operations manual of the Boeing 757 did not contain detailed information to provide the flight crew with a list of appropriate verifications to signal a discrepancy in the indications of airspeed. Simultaneous activation of rudder, mock trim, and other warnings, and a flight with an airspeed indicator that may not be trustworthy. And the alert system of the Boeing 757 aircraft did not include an alert of caution or warning when a signal of erroneous airspeed is detected. So even though this was recoverable, and even though I don't think the report doesn't blame the manufacturer or the aircraft for this incident, they did actually make changes to these alerts and these systems because of this crash. Oh, now, uh, a lot of these alarms and warnings, they're easier to silence so that oh. they don't have to pull circuit breakers. Okay. And also, there's an added warning when there's different airspeeds on each pilot screen. There's a special warning that says airspeed disagree. Okay. So, it's like they shouldn't have to have change those things, but they just like, hey, let's further clarify <laughs> these warnings. Yeah. Yeah, let's make it easier to deal with this stuff and to present the information to the pilot so they know what's going on. In fact, I don't remember which one it was, but I think we covered an, air, an episode where I said that they received the airspeed disagree warning. Hmm. I think we did that last year sometime. So you can see how it, you know, it, it, is, it is useful. It is, some, it is something that gets noticed.
1: I guess it's, that's a good way. This is like an unnecessary incident, right? I say unnecessary is an unavoidable incident, right. but at least something good came from it
0: yeah I think uh these were some some really good changes that were made for to further safety for everyone else, but like like you said it, it, like you said it was unnecessary they they should have just not taken off. they should have seen the airspeeds were disagreeing, but like you know what let's you know let's let's stop this takeoff let's go back to the terminal, let's have maintenance look at this granted, it's going to delay them a little longer. they want to get home yeah. but you know it 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 it's it's the safe thing to do mm mm-hmm. But yeah, that's it for bergen air 301. Awful crash that was entirely avoidable, but which did you know actually lead to some useful updates to the the alert and warning systems in uh, in these planes. Yeah, but uh, that's it. We'll be back next week with another episode. And don't forget, follow us on social media at Black Box Down Pod. Like I said, I'll post that, I want video see that video recreation from the NTSB. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'll send it to you right now when we're done recording. It's really really wild to look at. But yeah, we'll
1: oh. be back. Uh, oh, you have to say? do we want to ask people to send us any incidents, uh, like news things, or Q and A that we could cover in a first class episode? Yeah,
0: send us an email to blackboxdownpod at gmail.com and uh, we'll compile some of them and maybe answer some questions or you know find some things to talk about. Yeah. or you can message us on social media too. We also check. Oh yeah, out. we'll check. It's those. also there. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we try to be as, as reachable as possible. Yeah.
1: Sometimes we're slow and it because and we don't get to every message immediately, but we try to. We do our best.
0: All right. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.